0: In the wake of big bank breaches, such as the one that impacted 465,000 prepaid accounts at Chase in early December, security experts say fraud risks associated with prepaid cards are mounting and will only escalate in the year ahead. So how are prepaid cards and card management systems being exploited to facilitate electronic bank robbery? And what steps should banking institutions take now to mitigate their risks in the coming year? Here, Tom Wills, a financial fraud and emerging technology expert offers advice and shares his projections for the coming year. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. Tom, as I mentioned in the introduction, prepaid card risks are evolving. How have they escalated in the last
1: year? Well, Tracy, there's always been a high level of fraud and money laundering associated with prepaid cards ever since they were first issued in the 1990s. But the really big thing that's happening in the past year, and I would actually say in the past 18 months, is that criminal hackers have started to exploit prepaid card systems, not just the card themselves, but equally as much the back office systems that banks use to manage their prepaid card products as a way to facilitate online banking fraud. And the other thing that's happening is that we're starting to see uh, exploitation of reloadable prepaid cards because in the past it's, it's been uh, mainly perpetrated on non-reloadable cards, so two, two fairly big developments here. And we've seen this in four different high-profile data breach cases that have happened, starting with the most recent one, which is the one that happened at Chase earlier this month and also we had the breach that took place i believe in late 2012 that targeted the prepaid card processors for two banks in the middle east Raqqa and bank of oman and these were the processors uh, not the issuing banks themselves the processors one located in india and one of the u.s which resulted in the forty five million dollar atm fraud that was coordinated across several countries and took place within the space of a few hours which i believe there were some arrests on recently that was targeting prepaid systems The RBS WorldPay breach that took place in in 2008, which is a bit earlier than two years, was really a precursor to all this. And then the other one is the FIS breach in 2011 that took place, which I believe led to about a $13 million fraud.
0: The FIS breach of 2011 impacted a number of banking institutions, and of course it raised new questions about third-party risks. Why was the attack of FIS's prepaid card system so damaging to so many of this processor's bank and credit union
1: customers? Well, as you mentioned, Tracy, the FIS breach happened at a processor where the card management platform. This back office system uh, used to manage prepaid cards had been outsourced to FIS by a number of prepaid card issuers, and therefore not only one issuer was affected, multiple issuers were affected. And that led to a significant amount of fraud that was reputationally damaging for those issuers. And that's, that's why it was such a big deal.
0: Prepaid card risks, Tom, as you mentioned earlier, are nothing new, and the AML concerns surrounding prepaid cards have been around for a number of years, but now the risks are more linked to how easily these values on these cards can be manipulated, as you mentioned, um, this case of the Middle Eastern banks that were attacked, that was, of course, what happened there, as well as the fact that these cards are not linked to a specific account or an account holder. Can you explain how some of these risks are emerging
1: and why they're so damaging? Absolutely. Actually, before I do that, perhaps I could give a, a very quick primer on the way prepaid cards work because they, they can be a bit confusing. Um, so let me start just by explaining uh, the two basic types of prepaid cards and how they work, and then, and then my explanation about the attacks will be much more understandable. There are two basic types of prepaid cards, Tracy, reloadable and non-reloadable let me start with non reloadable because those are the types of cards that we have traditionally seen a lot of money laundering activity and fraud on non reloadable cards are your gift cards the mobile top-up uh cards uh things like itunes and macy's cards the things that you see in the racks at the checkout at target stores um usually they're in small denominations of 25 50 100 and the the key thing about these non reloadable cards is that they can only be used once until the balance is depleted And there's no KYC or due diligence on the customer, so they can be purchased with cash, and therefore they're anonymous cards. And that makes them perfect, really, for money laundering. And they've been used extensively for money laundering for some years. And then there is the reloadable type of card, where the balance can be drawn down on the card, but it can be topped up at any time as well, as long as the account is open. And these reloadable cards do have KYC requirements, so the customer has to register their ID. It's much like opening a credit card or a bank account, and they can be reloaded from multiple sources, from from online or sometimes from ATMs. And they can also, and this is important, they can be used at ATMs. So they work just like a credit or debit card at an ATM, except that the balance draws down when you use it. Well, what's confusing is, is that You know, both types are issued by the major card brands, by Visa, MasterCard, American Express. We associate fraud and money laundering with non reloadable cards, again. Um, And in theory, at least, the risk controls on reloadable cards are better, but what's really interesting is that the emerging attacks that I mentioned earlier all involve reloadable cards. That's a change. These reloadable cards have a unique quality that makes them very useful to cyber fraudsters in the fact that they can be used at atm unlike these uh, anonymous non-reloadable cards
0: so tom how are prepaid cards being used in card fraud schemes
1: so keeping that difference in mind between reloadable and non-reloadable cards there are two types of attacks that have emerged um, in, in the past 18 months and two years um, the first one is where card management platforms, again, those back office uh, platforms that are being run by banks issuing prepaid cards, are being attacked. Um, prepaid card accounts are then being issued onto counterfeit cards and then used to launder money. And this is known as an unlimited operation because it's, it involves taking the limits off the prepaid card account. So how does it work? The hackers manage to break into the card management platform itself. They do several things once they've broken in. They steal card numbers. They change the credit balances on the card accounts so that uh, the balances are inflated. So if the balance is $1,000 up into $5,000, uh, for example. They remove spending limits on these cards. So typically, reloadable prepaid cards have uh, daily and, and weekly sometimes spending limits. And those are, are taken out by the hackers. The hackers also somehow get hold of the pins on those cards. So then they take that card data that they've stolen off the platform and they encode them onto a handful of plastic cards. And then as quickly as possible, they rush out to ATMs and they withdraw the funds on those cards, which again have very, very high limits on them since the limits have been removed. After that, the cash gets laundered by uh, buying cars and, and uh, luxury items and so on. So. I mean, looking at those types of attacks, they are almost certainly insider attacks, I think, because of the detailed knowledge of the card management platform and the, the hackers have to have in order to conduct this. I'm guessing, and I'm just speculation here, but the attacks are probably APTs, Advanced Persistent Threats, that are taking place over several months and not detected right away. And the hackers actually, in one case, which I believe was the one in the Bank of Oman, they actually stayed connected to the card management platform in real time while the money was being withdrawn from the ATMs and they watched what was going on as a way to sort of keep an eye out on their uh, cash out help that they were using in different countries. So, Tracy, that's one kind of attack. The second kind of attack that's emerged is where money mules are being hired to launder the proceeds of these online banking attacks. These money mules, we've seen them for several years now, recruited by work at home schemes and so on. Um, often they don't know that they're money mules, that they're actually participating in money laundering. This function is being replaced by prepaid cards. And an example of that is that a breach that happened against a petroleum company called Alta East earlier this year, I believe. So money mules are a key link in this overall fraud chain. But for the crime bosses, money mules are people, so they're messy and they're hard to manage. They go rogue on the fraudsters sometimes, they make mistakes and the banks do have monitoring systems that detect patterns and anomalies so once those detection systems kick in then new mules have to be recruited you have a short shelf life if you will and on the other hand prepaid cards are inanimate objects so they're much more useful to criminals and the way it works is that these prepaid cards are attached to an online banking account that has been breached and so as part of breaching the online banking account identity theft has occurred which allows to obtain a prepaid card in the name of of the victim. And they simply get prepaid cards, load them up with cash, and uh, use them to launder the funds rather than hiring human help for that. So that's another development that's happened.
0: So Tom, can you explain why prepaid card fraud is growing?
1: Well, Tracy, it's, it's not growing so much as it's changing. So as I've described earlier, you have these new attack modes that have, that have happened. The quote unquote traditional type of prepaid fraud and money laundering continues basically as is. And it's changing simply because the banking fraud groups are extremely creative. And as they always do, they found a weak link in the chain of security that they can exploit. So
0: what are the third party risks here, Tom? Are most prepaid portfolios outsourced?
1: I think that it's probably about 50 50 in the world. I couldn't give you I couldn't quote you an exact number of how many are outsourced or not typically portfolios with smaller financial institutions are outsourced and typically they're run in house by larger ones, but um, there are some large financial institutions that are outsourcing them as well, but the risk factor there is that you know banks are generally pretty good compared to other industries at enterprise information security, which is when we're, what we're talking about when we're talking about securing that card management platform. But they're not always as up to speed as in securing, you know, what Art Cavialo at uh, RSA calls the hyper-extended enterprise. That is not just their own network and data centers, but the networks and data centers of partners who are connected to them. And that would, of course, include prepaid card management service providers if that function is outsourced so when a a service provider is connected to the financial institution they may not have done as thorough due diligence on the partners networks as their own and therein lies the main risk now in
0: the case of the recent chase breach which I mentioned earlier exposed 465,000 prepaid accounts the prepaid program was managed in-house Tom why was this portfolio more vulnerable in your opinion than other card portfolios
1: well, so we talked about the, the, the risk of outsourcing. However, it all really comes down to the quality of security that whoever is hosting the card management platform, whether that be an outsource service provider or whether it be in-house. Whoever's hosting it, uh, it comes down to the quality of the security that that organization is practicing. And so I can't comment on those individually in, in the different breaches that we've been talking about. What, what I can say is that it's likely that they were vulnerable to all the kinds of threats that have been front and center in enterprise information security that, that the whole profession has been discussing in the last year. So advanced persistent threats, insider threats, and things of that nature.
0: You've talked a bit about internal risks, Tom. What other internal risks do prepaid portfolios
1: face? Well, really, Tracy, the main thing that we haven't already covered is the good old insider threat and that's always something that needs to be considered. Fortunately, it often fails to be considered, even today, even though we've been seeing it carried out and talking about how serious it is for years now. It fails to be considered thoroughly in a risk assessment and at a security program, very, very often. And remember, you know, something between 50 and 80% of all information security threats involve insider cooperation of some type.
0: So how are these prepaid fraud risks affecting other banking channels?
1: Actually, Tracy, I might turn the question on its head and ask, maybe a, a, a better way of asking that may be how are other banking channels affecting prepaid fraud? Because as we've seen, criminals have sort of co-opted prepaid card systems into their whole online banking fraud ecosystem, as I was explaining earlier. We've, we've seen them starting to figure out, hey, th- there's, there's some weak links in the prepaid card systems that we can exploit. How can we exploit them? And so we have this replacement of money mules that's going on by using prepaid cards, by taking advantage of the fact that they're, they're anonymous and, and that they can be attached very easily to the account of someone who's already been victimized by online banking fraud. The other type where you know, someone actually breaks into the uh, card management platform itself and it manipulates the card limits and so on, those have been basically added on as tools for online banking fraud.
0: What lessons or advice should banking institutions take here as they look out to 2014 and beyond?
1: Probably three areas. One is to secure card management platforms better, and that's really an, an enterprise information security exercise. The second would be to secure online banking better. Uh, the third would be to secure prepaid cards themselves, the actual cards better. So let me address those one by one. To secure the the card management platforms better, that's basically good old enterprise information security. The tax that we have been talking about today exploited weaknesses in the card management platform, likely using APTs and things of that nature. So like any enterprise dealing with APTs, the the operators of these platforms could benefit by improving detection and response capabilities by conducting penetration testing and using data mining and predictive analytics tools, establishing uh, an incident management program controlling for insider threats and things of that nature. I can't speak to the specific players here, but I can speak sort of generally in, in terms of, of what types of things can be done. And then in addition to that, Tracy, just all the standard mom and apple pie advice about running a robust cybersecurity program. Do your risk assessments practice good web application security, harden your service side systems against default passwords and all that standard stuff. And then as far as securing online banking better, nothing new here either. It's everything the experts have been saying, the various experts have been saying, improve authentication, improve fraud detection, educate customers, things of that nature. I won't get into the details of, of, of those types of recommendations, um, but the source of the prepaid attacks that I'm describing are still rooted in good old-fashioned identity theft if i can call it that via social engineering and phishing so so still um i believe that at the end of 2013 uh we're in a situation where the fraudsters Do you have the upper hand over the industry? Unfortunately, so still more work to be done there. And then finally, what can we do to actually secure the, the prepaid cards themselves better? So prepaid cards are, are products as a product category. They're actually pretty hot right now because they're the fastest growing segment of payment cards. When you compare them to credit and debit cards, they've been received very well in the marketplace. And there are a lot of different flavors of these products, different features and functions on them. And so there's a lot of competition going on between issuers of these cards to try and grab market share. And so the issuers are enthusiastic to launch their products as quickly as they can. And the problem with that is from being done without a full risk assessment at the product level. So security risks are sometimes getting skipped over and only addressed after there's been a security breach of some kind and it's added after the fact. So the recommendation there would simply be to put more due care into the development and management of these products, and have security experts involved in the product design from the from the get-go, right from the beginning, um, so that security is baked into the system, it's in the DNA of the product, and not added more expensively later on as an afterthought um you know the industry has been reluctant to do that for competitive and convenience reasons which are somewhat understandable but given that these attacks are really on the upswing now would be a great time to revisit that approach and and, uh, bake in some more security into those products
0: tom i'd like to thank you again for your time this morning
1: it's my pleasure tracy thank you
0: again we've just heard from financial fraud and emerging technology expert tom wills for information security media group i'm tracy kitten